No my hardy my ki tēnā hōtaka. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Kia mo tono mai koto katoa coming up on the program. Straight after four, we hope to cross to Alexandra Matvechuk, head of the Centre for Civil Liberties in Ukraine. That is pending communications where events are moving swiftly there. The so-named freedom protests, uh, one small town that is really struggling with a by now quite large protest is Picton. We go to the mayor on that. And the giant global report on climate change released overnight. Prepare now for climate turbulence or pay extra when it hits. Professor Bronwyn Haywood, who's a lead author, uh, comments uh, on the IPCC's sixth global warming report. Also on the panel today, uh, completely different news, an Auckland truck company, a trucking company has set up an old school cadetship as part of its efforts to try and find skilled staff, and it's been inundated with interest, so calling all truckies, would you recommend your job to others? Text us, 2101 or not. Australian-made Fijoa lumps, they've hit the shelves, stealing our kiwiana, and if it's not the Fijoa lump, what lolly can you not turn down? Text us to 101 or email the panel at rnz.co.nz. For me, it's got to be the black ball. Indeed, the classic black and white hardboard lolly with the peppermint flavour. Kiwi favourite from way back and uh, still as popular, apparently. With me this afternoon, Linda Hallinan, former uh, editor of NZ Garden and journalist Linda Kiora. Kiora. I've just been thinking about you. Oh, no, not, I hope not it's in, good. Yeah, not in, not in any particular <laughs> way, but uh, because um, I've been eating Doris plums all afternoon. Um, and ah. was, was it was it you who wrote a whole book on the Doris plum? No, no, I wrote a whole book about the damson plum, but a few what? years ago, I did, it doesn't matter, I wrote a, a big story about the origin of the black Doris plum's name good. and how we don't really know. And so I still get emails probably five years later from people informing me that it was their auntie or their sister or their mm. cousin that got the name. Well, whenever I eat a plum anyway, I think of you. So it's lovely to have you on the panel. <laughs> uh, and uh, and with us also, Anton Matthews, uh, Managing Director of the Hustle Group in Otatahi, Whānau-led company incorporating hospitality and uh, cultural competencies and education. Anton, how are things? Wallace, I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Lovely to have you on the program, Anton. It's been a, been a while. So Linda and yeah, Anton, yeah, Anton's with me. Uh, first, this really got my interest. Um, primary and intermediate schools are being urged to make the leap to water only this year, 2022. Mm-hmm. Auckland University researchers also want to see high schools, uh, high schools sugar drink free. They say current measures to restrict sugar drinks in schools are plagued by supply chain loopholes and product definitions. So this was recently published in the research was very recently published in the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Public Health to discuss is Associate Professor Bodo Lang from the University of Auckland's Faculty of Business and Economics. Bodo, kia ora. Kia ora Wallace and kia ora uh, Linda and Anton. Good to have you on. Um, it sounds like, Bodo, that um, what you're suggesting here is time's up. We've been talking about this for years. Evidence, I'm just reading here, evidence clear. Sugary drinks have been a public health hazard in schools for years. Absolutely, uh, Wallace. I think the, the, the interesting thing is, is that even the, the sugary drinks industry itself has recognised that these drinks cause harm with uh, children's health and particularly with their dental health. And um, so they've basically signed a, a memorandum of understanding to not sell directly to school canteens. 
But the problem is, this is just not working because many school canteens don't buy directly from beverage manufacturers. They might buy from a supermarket or from a dairy. So it's very, very easy to get around this and to find sugary drinks in many, many schools in New Zealand. And in fact, I think it's uh, something like 100% of all high schools have flavored milk and juice available, um, 73%. Uh, schools overall have sugary drinks still available. So really, you know, the, the industry has stepped up to the plate, but the government hasn't. And so we are really urging the government to take steps on this. Are you telling me that you can go into a New Zealand school today and they have a dispensing machine, you can pop in a couple of bucks or whatever, and you can get you can get a can of fizzy? Uh, there's probably vending machines as well, but it's, it's certainly also available in school canteens. And it's not just fizzy, you will this gets back to one of the points you mentioned early on, it's product definition. So fizzy, soft drinks in other words, so maybe Coke and Pepsi if you if you like to name brands. You know, that that's one issue. But the other issue is that there's not just these fizzy drinks, it's actually a far bigger problem. I'm a, I used to be a big fan of flavoured milks, the chocolate yep. milk. Same. Um, just as bad. Just as much chocolate uh, just as much sugar in that. Um if you think of juice, just as much sugar in that. Natural sugar, not 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 added, but it doesn't matter whether it's added or or natural. Your body digests just the same, uh, and obviously then there's things like Red Bull, energy drinks, and sports drinks. So, you know, the availability of all of these drinks is the issue. All right, so not just fizzy. We're talking about the flavored flavored milk drinks. We're talking about the juices. Uh, doesn't matter if it's natural sugar or added. Uh, our panelists sort have of views on this: whether they think that schools should be water free uh, this year onwards. Linda? Well, I mean, at our school, we've got a, my kids go to a very small rural primary school and you'd be publicly shamed out of the uh, playground, I think, if you see the kids with any sort of sugary drink. The kids are all used to drinking water. I, don't, I mean, they don't even request it. So I think it's, it's not that difficult. It's kind of like plastic bags. You know, when we were kids, there were no such thing as sugary drinks at schools. And I'm pretty sure you could wipe Weren't them out there? again. Without, no, God, no. We, I mean, we might have had some Raro, you know, occasionally on school camp, you'd have Primo? watered down Raro. Primo? No. Primo didn't exist as a brand. I don't oh. remember any chocolate milk when I was a kid. Mm. But I do think that um, that really, I mean, you don't need the government to show leadership on this. Individual schools could and school boards, you know, just make the decision at a local level and get on with it. So you're supporting it? Absolutely. Stay there, Bodhi. Let's jump to Anon. Um, yeah, look, funnily enough, I remember when I first started at high school, there were Coke, you could get Coke from the canteen, we used to call it the tuck shop, um, tuck you know, every tuck shop is what we used to call it, yep, every interval, um, you'd line up and you'd get your little 390ml Coke or whatever it was, and then there was this big hoorah because the school said we're no longer going to be able to sell um, those sorts of sugary drinks, and everyone sort of thought, oh no, the world's going to end, and then uh, <laughs> Nick Minutes, uh, the vending machines that went in, they were selling like a lot, you could get like sparkling jewelry or there was a lime flavor and I thought this is just sort of coke by a different name and so it was a little bit of a joke so I, I understand what you mean about the loopholes and certainly um, I can relate to flavored strawberry milk and chocolate milk that was a big seller at the old tuck shop so yes. yeah look I get it it is a problem to your question around water um, anyone who knows me knows that I knock back you know I don't know it sounds a bit absurd but probably four or five liters of water every day I'm pretty addicted but I'm addicted to the bubbly water I love soda yeah I, I love it. enough of it. I I, just, oh, yeah. you've had you've had a bit of an. I know it's a pressure point. Yeah, it's a pressure point for a lot of people. Water. I get it. Oh, it's just so good. What love honestly. it. Love it. So as long as Doesn't it destroy your teeth? I'm all yeah. in. Oh, probably, probably. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so, so, so Bodo Anton's partially on board. Just don't take away his sparkling water. 
right. Put a soda shroom um, in every classroom around New Zealand. What would you say to those, Bodo, uh, who are texting in saying, it's all about education. Regulation is not the way to go. Uh, look, I think that's that's an easy, easy pushback, and many, many research studies in different fields have shown that education is always the first thing that people come up with, but it just doesn't work so well. And you know, we all, well, most people know that sugar is not good for you, but if you ask most people how much sugar is in drinks, they couldn't tell you to, you know, they wouldn't have any clue. And so, what has been shown to work really well is to um, serve really strict legislation around this. So we've got legislation on seatbelts, you know, uh, there's a reason why we have it, because otherwise people die. There's legislation around um, tobacco sales, uh, there's a reason why, because people die. Um, sugar drinks are not quite that bad, but they're not that far off, because we, right. we face a humongous health bill every year um, from teeth extraction, obesity, and all sorts of other um, related diseases. So, you know, education is a lovely thing to do, but, it, you know, really what we need is we need to step it up, and we need to actually... Um, uh, legislate against this. Are you just finally before you go? Are you surprised how intractable this issue has been in Aotearoa? We have been talking about this and on the panel uh, also for many years, where other countries have done something about the issue. Um, I think that's a great question, Wallace. Yes, I'm a little bit surprised, and I think there's multiple reasons for that. You know, we have a love affair with sweet things. Even just the word sugar and sweetness have very clear connotations in our culture. So there's an interesting one. What I am surprised about is that the government hasn't done anything about it because they came to power, um, they were very clear that they would do something about it, but they really haven't haven't stepped up. And this is the easiest thing to do in schools, protecting New Zealand's most vulnerable consumers, children. You know, it's a, it's a complete no-brainer f- for anybody with a health background, um, you know, to protect those consumers. And then, you know, once they are more able to make, you know, good decisions, you know, maybe we show them the full repertoire of drinks. But, you know, at the school, we really need, need to give Kiwi kids the best start to life. And I don't think we're doing that now. Thank you, Bodo, for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, that is Australian Professor Bodo Lang. New research written up in the uh, Australian and New Zealand Journal of Public Health, uh, which essentially says we've got to get real uh, about uh, sugary drinks uh, in schools. And that includes not just your fizzies, but uh, yeah, yeah, your flavoured milks and your fruit juices there. Speaking of uh, uh, flavoured milks, how old is your panellist if she cannot remember Zap? <laughs> You've got to, you, you, you surely. Oh, that does ring a vague bell. You I'm see, 47. There you go. So I'm nearly 50. And I. I don't know. We had a rural school. Rural schools have different rules, I think. We had milk straight from the cow. (laughs) Wow, wow. Outstanding. (laughs) Uh, My husband husband got the fizzy drink machine removed from Tawa Intermediate about 25 years ago. Hope they never got it back. And speaking of sugar and your favourite lollies, hmm, we're kind of mixing it up today. We're talking about Fiji lumps. Uh, Aniseed wheels. Uh, and Morrow Bars were the cornerstone of our high school, uh, the 1988 diet, we call it. Time for I've Been Thinking. <laughs> Linda, <laughs> Linda Helen Ann, would you like to start? Well, well I think I, I've been thinking about Omicron, obviously, because how can you not um, at the moment with the numbers going up and having young kids at school? But I was surprised today to read the news that Rotorua's Rainbow Springs is going to be permanently shuttered. And I mean, that's not surprising in itself because it has been temporarily closed because of no tourists. But I was surprised how much that kind of hurt. Like a small part of me just went, 
oh, that's a terrible shame because we have such wonderful memories of taking our kids there when they were little and probably of going there ourselves, to be honest. And it's probably the only place in the world where you would have that experience where, you know, you're up front and personal feeding those rainbow trout. It's really sad to know that once it's closed, you know, we'll never have a facility like that again. It would just be physically impossible to do. So, yeah, just a little, little another little letdown. And sort saw, of, they all hurt, don't they? I saw that flash come through and I thought, oh, Rainbow Springs, the Rainbow Springs, I kind of Rotorua, no. Uh, and we were going to take a little junior because he would have loved that, but no more. Uh, Linda, kia ora, thank you very much. All right, Anton Matthews, I've been thinking. Yeah, I think probably over the last few weeks, I've just been reflecting on um, Tinoranga Tiratanga and what that means uh, in today's world that we live in. It's, I know that it's been used, it's come up a lot, especially in the context of the protests that are going on all around the country, but especially in Te Whanganuyatara in Wellington. Um, and sort of how people have taken that concept of Tinoranga Tiratanga and are using it through, I suppose, the lens of an individual. And my understanding of Tinoranga Tiratanga is that really it's not about the individual, it's about the the collective, and it's always been about the collective, but I just find it interesting. I've been thinking a lot about how it's now become almost not not really a weapon, but it's become a, a tool for the individual to talk about freedom when, you know, my understanding has always been that it's not about the individual freedom, but actually about um, the, the group itself and, you know, uh, the group maintaining the ability and the, the autonomy to make decisions that best suit that group. Uh, it's never really been about the individual. So I've, I find that quite interesting how it's been used these days and um, we have been reflecting on that quite a lot. That is fantastic, fantastic, Anton. You know what, I'm thinking about that and I think that could be the, uh, that, that would be, that would make a wonderful um, editorial piece uh, on a site, be it something like RNZ or the Herald or spin-off. Uh, we don't hear enough about that. You I must, think. you must, you must know a few people in those circles, all. <laughs> yeah, but no one who can describe describe it eloquently like you, Anton. That's what that's, no, that's, that's, that's quite cool. Yeah, think about it. Anyway, uh, a lot of people actually re- truckies are coming in uh, to the party on the panel this afternoon. Uh, trucking is okay if you get a good employer. Early starts, long days, pay is okay, but doing hours for it. Congestion in Auckland, not so fun in a big vehicle. Stay with us this afternoon, Anton Matthews and Linda Helenan on the panel right here, four to five.